I'm Allie Burks, the worship leader for the local church, and you're listening to the Sunday Sermon Podcast, featuring sermons from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold and inclusive new faith community in Chatham County, North Carolina, committed to being with and for one another, our community, and the world. We gather for the work of worship every Sunday morning at 930 at House of Hops in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you have a place at the local church, and we'd love to see you. Well, good morning, friends. How you feeling? Good. Especially after that John the Baptist reading, you feel feeling all right? Rejoice! (laughs) Well, we're so glad that you're here this morning. We give God thanks for each and every one of you. Wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, we want you to know that you have a place at the local church. You are more than welcome. You belong here. And we celebrate your presence among us just by showing up, just by being here, walking through those doors. You become a part of what God is doing, whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not. You become a part of what God is doing by being here, by showing up this morning. And we give God thanks for each and every one of you. My name is Brent. I'm the pastor here. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I would love to do that this morning We hope um, and pray that each and every week, uh, the work that we do together here in worship in this Sunday liturgy, we hope that what we do will transform you, will uh, inspire you, will help you uh, uh, connect with God and one another in a deeper and more authentic way. And we hope that the Spirit works in you through this time, through the singing, through the scripture, through the preaching, through receiving Holy Communion, that the Spirit will equip and empower you to go into this world, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to love where you are, wherever you find yourself each and every day. That's our hope every week. And and so if that's not happening for you, let me know. Um, But uh, but that is our prayer each and every time we gather. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, I give you thanks for this morning. As we come to prepare, as we come to make room in our hearts, our minds, our souls for what you have for us. Through song, through scripture, through prayer, through words, and through intangibles. We pray, O oh God, that you would break into the noise of our world and the noise of our lives. Offer us a stillness that we might see you and hear you and encounter you in new ways today. We come open, O God, ready to move in a different direction. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So we find ourselves here this morning in uh, week two of the season of Advent. This is not staying up. Gives you a sense of how the morning's going here. Week two of Advent season, oh my goodness, the second of uh, (laughs) four weeks of preparing for the coming of the Christ child at Christmas, the arrival of God's promised day as well. Christmas, by the way, we're celebrating, as Allie mentioned, uh, at the barn of Chapel Hill in just 17 days, deep breaths, deep breaths. 17 days at the barn of Chapel Hill, it's about 20 minutes away, beautiful venue, there will be sweet 
treats and warm beverages and singing and celebration and the Christmas story, fun for the whole family. We've got some surprises up our sleeves too, and we hope and pray that you will consider starting a new tradition with us this year at the Barn of Chapel Hill um, in, uh, uh, in just 17 days. We are so, so excited. 5.30 p.m. is the start time for that. But before we get there, before we get there, we wait. We wait in this season of Advent around our local tables this past week and continuing tonight and this coming Tuesday. We've been talking about this waiting and this nature of waiting and and waiting with hope. That's what we're talking about at our local tables. And there's a really great quotation that we've used at these tables worth sharing, I think, here this morning. So let's put it up on the screen. It comes from uh, a guy named Jason Farman, who's a scholar who wrote a book called Delayed Response. The Art of Waiting from the Ancient to the Instant World. It's a whole book about waiting, not from a theological perspective, but from a scholarly, academic perspective. Still, it's good. Here's a quote that I think is, uh, is really meaningful for us in Advent. He writes, Waiting as represented by silences, gaps, and distance allows us the capacity to imagine that which does not yet exist and ultimately innovate into those new worlds as our knowledge expands. Waiting as represented by silences, gaps, and distance allows us the capacity to imagine that which does not yet exist and ultimately innovate into those new worlds as our knowledge expands. We need this time to pause, to reflect, so that then we might innovate. We might imagine what's possible. This is what Advent is all about. Not waiting idly, not waiting just sort of twiddling our thumbs, not waiting passively, but waiting with intentionality, waiting with action and with purpose, waiting so that we might imagine a new world and then take part in its coming. As we wait with action and intentionality and purpose and imagination, we're working through a sermon series to give shape to our waiting, and the sermon series is called What Can't Wait? What can't wait. And here's the big idea of the series. Even as we wait, there are some things that we cannot wait for. There are some things that God just cannot wait for. Allie mentioned this week that she had been, I don't remember the details, but I remember the idea. So if I'm wrong, just tell me, Allie. But it was either you or a friend uh, uh, talking with a friend about New Year's resolutions, right? Tis the season to start thinking about New Year's resolutions, the changes that we're going to make in the new year to better ourselves, right? And take on. And and I can't remember if you said this or your friend said this, Allie. um, But someone said, why wait another couple weeks? Why, Why wait until January 1st? Why not start now? Why not start now? And it's so true, and this is the perfect sentiment for this sermon series. Why wait until Christmas when there is work to be done here and now? Work that Jesus calls us to still in these days. Last week we talked about hope, if you were here. We talked about hope. We decided, um, we declared together that hope can't wait. Hope can't wait. We looked at a vision from the 8th century prophet Isaiah who paints a picture, who speaks truth to power, who calls people to a new way of seeing the world, new way of living in the world. This is what a, a prophet does. And, uh, and the vision Isaiah gave of swords becoming plowshares and spears becoming pruning hooks, tools of war that tear communities apart, becoming tools of agriculture 
for the feeding and the flourishing of communities, a vision for justice for all the earth where war and violence cease between nations. This vision is one of hope, and this is what Isaiah presented for us last week. And we talked about how Isaiah, what he's doing here is he's pointing to the end. He's spoiling the ending. He's giving it all away because once you know the ending, you can't not know the ending. Once you've seen this vision, you can't unsee it. And our task, our charge, is to step into this vision, to make it real by God's grace here and now. But here's the thing about this hope, and we mentioned this last week too, is that it's not a a Pollyanna hope. It's not a fantasy. It's not blind optimism. Instead, this hope is filled with tension. It can be hard to believe, hard to grasp, hard to to, uh, feel like it's real. Really, you might think. This hope is filled with tension, and that's because it's an acknowledgement of the way things are while looking ahead to the way things will be. It's about being firmly rooted, firmly planted in the right now, but keeping our eyes fixed on the not yet. Hope is moving forward with the grace and love of God empowered by the Spirit toward that end, following Jesus all the way, and hope, that hope, can't wait. That was last week. Today, it's peace. Today, we're declaring that peace can't wait. And today we continue to live in that tension, exist in that in-between place of be, uh, between the way things are and the way things will be, between the now and the not yet. And our two scripture passages that Tracy read this morning do well to put us there, in between the now and the not yet. First, we hear more from Isaiah as he continues painting us a picture of God's good future, giving us a vision of God's promised day and spoiling the ending. It is indeed a vision of peace that that Isaiah continues to present today in chapter 11, but it's not an ordinary peace. It's not simply peace that is the absence of conflict. This is a peace that has disrupted the status quo. This is a peace that has turned the world upside down. This is a peace that is unexpected and surprising. A peace that speaks to creation completely reordered. Predator and prey just hanging out together. Just shooting the breeze, right? Wolf and lamb. You've got a lion who suddenly becomes a vegetarian. No longer interested (laughs) In meat. You've got children, the most vulnerable among us, who are playing with poisonous snakes. What in the world? What is this world? Creation completely reordered. The world turned upside down. It's hard to wrap our minds around this kind of vision, isn't it? Because this is not the way the world seems to work. It might make our heads hurt trying to make sense of it all. You might think, I want to go to there. It seems impossible. And yet, this is God's future. This is the way things will be. This is how the story ends. It's a, it's a total and complete upheaval of relationships and systems and structures that makes possible the world as it is meant to be. A world that is restored, 
a world that is whole, a world that is complete, a world that is at peace, at peace. We might call this shalom, if you know that word, whole, complete, in harmony, at peace. So that's how it all ends, but we know we're not there yet, and we find ourselves in the middle, and that's where our holiday buzzkill, John the Baptist, (laughs) comes in to remind us of this harsh reality, because while Isaiah points to the end, it's John the Baptist here in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's narrative retelling of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's John the Baptist who helps us to see and point to where we are now. The thing about John the Baptist, you would never invite him to your Christmas party, right? (laughs) He doesn't mince words. One minute you are uh, decking the halls and sipping on peppermint mochas and listening to pentatonics, and the next minute, with no warning, you show up to church, and the first words out of John the Baptist's mouth are, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And this is my favorite. He will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with what? Unquenchable fire. Nothing gets you in the Christmas spirit like this, right? Like, get this guy an eggnog or something. Like Isaiah, John the Baptist has some prophet in him, though. He's here eating locusts and wild honey in the wilderness, a familiar place in Advent, the wilderness. He's here to speak truth to power and point to something new, to point to what will happen when Jesus proclaims that the kingdom of God is near and God has come to reign, but his message and his words as recorded in the gospel are, are hard to stomach. It, might, uh, it might, might sound to our ears like fire and brimstone. If you're like me, you find yourself wincing a bit. Right? Tone it down a little bit, John. Quit while you're ahead. Who's going to hear this and say, sign me up? I'm in. But again, here's the thing. Isaiah offers a vision for peace that disrupts and reorders and makes new. He's pointing to the end, and John the Baptist is here to tell the truth about the way things are, to show us the way, to point to the way of how to get there. It's as if John the Baptist is saying, y'all, with Jesus, everything is going to change. So get ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. You want to experience that peace? You want to experience uh, that shalom, that wholeness? You want to know it? You want to know that peace? It's going to require a complete dismantling and remembering of your heart, your mind, your soul, your life, and this world. When you follow Jesus, the Prince of Peace, your world is turned upside down, and that includes you, and it cannot wait. And this is why the first word out of John the Baptist's mouth is what? Repent. This is the way. This is how it happens, through repentance. Repent, sure, may not be the best first word, to start a message, to, to win people over. I certainly wouldn't begin a sermon that way. That's not what they teach you at Duke Divinity School. And when we talk about repentance, you might think about saying, I'm sorry, or asking for forgiveness. 
Maybe when you hear that word, you start to think about a street preacher on a soapbox shouting at you. But what repentance really is, at its core, is, is a turn. That's what repent means. It means to turn. Repentance is a change in direction. It's a pivot. It's a move from one way to another. It's as simple as that. That's what John is calling for. That's what repentance is. When he talks about the wheat and the chaff, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that Jesus is going to burn you with unquenchable fire if you don't get your act together. It's not what this wheat and the chaff means. He's not saying that there's some heavenly scoreboard like on the good place, right, that will ultimately determine your fate. He's instead inviting you and me and all of us to ask, what are the parts of us that need to go? Where are the places where change is needed in our lives and in the world in order to experience the life that really is life, to fully inhabit the peace that God desires for us and for all of creation? How might we as individuals and we as a people, a collective, a community, turn from death to life? How might we move from selfishness to selflessness, from isolation to community, from hard-heartedness to compassion, from complacency to action? This is the repentance, the turn that we're invited to consider. To take it a step further, our thoughts on repentance are often much too narrow. We may think about the changes that are necessary in our own personal lives in order to experience abundant life. And this is right and good. For instance, a turn toward repair in a broken relationship. A turn toward Sabbath in the busyness of life. A turn toward intervention in the midst of addiction or harmful, unhealthy actions. A turn toward presence and witness in a world of distraction and isolation. A turn toward compassion and grace for someone who you just can't stand. A turn toward prayer and surrender in a mess of a situation. This is all right and good. Personal turnings, personal repentance, the movement of God in your life and in mine. But there's more to repentance. Because repentance must also press beyond the personal beyond the individual to encompass neighborhoods and communities and systems and structures too. So that's what we're thinking about this morning. Where is there a turn needed not just in you, but around you? How might you be caught up in a system? How might we be caught up in a system where repentance, a turning, is required? A turn toward embrace and a world of walls, both tangible and intangible. A turn toward humility and generous listening when voices that have long gone unheard begin to speak up and speak out. A turn toward solidarity when the vulnerable experience harm, unable to fully experience the life that God has for them, to fully live into who God has created them to be. A turn toward care for the gift of creation when our actions affect land and life thousands of miles away, a turn toward the common good in a world hell-bent on individualism, independence, and every man for himself. You might think of your own here. This is the tension of Advent. This is what it's for. 
John the Baptist gives us space here in our waiting between the now and the not yet to imagine a new world and to innovate within it, calling us to repentance, calling us to take a look at the way things are, pointing to the way things are, things in need of turning and repentance, and then to move in that direction. Earlier I said that repentance is simply to turn, but we know that it's not that simple, is it? Repentance is not easy. It's not comfortable. It requires risk, and that's because it requires something of us. But it's in these places of greatest discomfort that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is at work in us, changing our minds, turning our hearts, dismantling and remembering us from the inside out toward an unexpected and surprising and restorative peace for all of creation. This is the way. And it is only through honesty and confession and awareness and repentance this openness to allowing Jesus to come into our lives just as he came into this world in the stillness of a Bethlehem night thousands of years ago, that we might turn toward the making of a new world. And it is only in this turning, it is only in this turning that the peace that Isaiah envisions becomes real. Peace can't wait. John is pointing. Jesus is leading. So what needs to change in you? What needs to change in this world? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, it's Allie again. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to somebody who could use some good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more information about the local church, visit thelocalchurchpbo.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LocalChurchPBO. Until next time, love where you are.